Do you truly believe that? Amen. So what are you talking about today? Does your life show that you really believe that? Arn came up to me today and said, yeah, we have fake drums today. I said, well, that's good because we have a fake preacher. <laughs> um, I always feel almost kind of like I'm new when I come to second service because most of the time I'm second service, I'm in the adult class. So it's always good to be out here and talking to everybody. We've got uh, slides up, coming up. We've been talking about the Daniel plan, and I don't know how many of you are participating in the Daniel plan. Uh, there's a lot of things that are involved with it, with food and fitness and friends, faith. As, as there's been some incredible, I, I guess, uh, benefits from that. I've seen, I've talked to a lot of people that have uh, lost some weight, uh, getting some healthy. Um, I've been inspired by a wonderful member of our congregation to do the uh, Seattle to Portland bike ride this, this summer. So I, I have, I've got to do a lot of working out because uh, I can either survive it or enjoy it. And I really want to uh, enjoy it. <laughs> but there's things that need to lead up to that. What I want to talk today, though, is the real Daniel plan. What really happened with Daniel. And how important that was and how one incredibly small decision in his life changed the, direct, the, the trajectory of his life. So many times that we, we think in our life that we need to make these grandiose things happen, but sometimes it's just the smallest choice to do God's best and to believe in God's best can change the way our life goes from then on out. And that's what we're going to talk about, about Daniel today. I think, you know, somehow, you know, dieting is kind of just a, a little small glimpse of what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about pursuing righteousness. And when you're dieting, you know, you have several choices every single day. Well, I could eat that or I could eat that. And, and when you're really committed to it, you make the right choices. Pursuing righteousness is so much more. It's not just a diet thing. It's not just a, for a little while thing. It is our life with God, and that's what we're going to talk about. Before we get started, I want to talk, just have a short time of prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the words of Daniel. Lord, he inspires us. He inspires us to do your will. He inspires us to do your best. He shows us what a life of choosing you and choosing your way, Lord, how it can change the world. Lord, so many times we don't look at that big picture, but you're in that big picture all of the time, and if we would just join you in your plans and what you're doing, Lord, it can not just impact our families, not just impact our communities, it can, in fact, impact this world that we live in. Just as Daniel in his life, through some small choices and then just a big life, Lord, he glorified you in so many wonderful ways, and I just pray that we can get a glimpse of that that we might change our lives to more reflect, Lord, what you need us to be. Not our will, but your will in our lives. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled this Run to Win because I really believe that our life is a race. Our life is something that starts out and some, somewhere we finally figure out what the course is. And I pray that someday you do figure out the course. If you haven't figured, I think the worst tragedy is dying in this life and never realizing what your course was to begin with. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But the real Daniel plan is really, it's, it's really about a pursuit of righteousness. So many times in the church we, 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 we rejoice in, which we absolutely should, and celebrate in our free gift of God, which is grace. Because of what Jesus came down, he gave, gave up his life for us to have that. But unfortunately, too many times, we as Christians, we just get comfortable in that. That Jesus died for me, so now I can just kind of live however I want, because now I've got the fire insurance. Because now I know where I'm going because of what Jesus did. And so many times we lose that pursuit of righteousness. So I want to talk today about Daniel, the real Daniel. I'm going to talk more about this verse, so don't worry about it. I only have a part of it because it's a really good verse, but we'll get to the rest of it in a second, actually a minute or an hour. I don't know. How long you guys want to be here? 
Therefore, since we have such a, so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, what he's talking about is he's talking about the faith chapter, the chapter before that, that he lists off all these people of faith. Men and women of faith. Daniel's not in that story, but Daniel's, Daniel is in a different verse that I want to read to you. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. Let me tell you the context that he's talking about here. I, I'm sure probably everybody in this room, most people in the world, know the story of Noah. God was going to destroy all of mankind. That's what God said. I'm just starting over. But then there's this verse that says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He's talking about people that in their time, in their day, when nobody else was pursuing righteousness, these guys were. Noah was pursuing righteousness even though the entire planet, every person on mankind was not pursuing righteousness, but Noah was. Job, we see his families and everybody's off doing stuff, but he's, he's doing God's stuff to the point that God is talking to Satan and says, have you seen my servant Job? <laughs> These are people that pursued righteousness to the point that he caught God's eye. That wasn't like everybody else, and that's exactly where Daniel was. Daniel was in a time that there are no words to describe. Jeremiah, for, for years, had told God's people that if you don't turn around and you don't repent, then you're going to be destroyed. I don't know, I don't know if you like your job, okay? But if, if, you, if you don't, listen to, to Jeremiah's job. Let me just talk about Jeremiah just for a second. This was Jeremiah's job. Jeremiah, your whole life, you're going to tell the people that if they don't turn, then they're going to be destroyed and you are going to preach that and preach that and preach that. And oh, by the way, nobody's going to listen to you. i got to do that my whole life. And God was right. Nobody did listen to him. To the point that this is now that Jerusalem is being destroyed. And this is Chronicles. I don't know if you know how the Bible works, but basically Chronicles is the kind of chronological story of what happens uh, to God's people, and then you see the prophets kind of fall in place in different parts of Chronicles. This is the part that Daniel falls into. Therefore he, and I want you to understand who he is, he is God. That's why he is capitalized. It is hard for me, I will tell you right now, it is difficult for me to read the Old Testament a lot. Because <laughs> things that happen in the Old Testament are, in many cases, disturbing. In fact, I was, I was listening uh, the other day, this was like two weeks ago, and, and I don't know if you do the, the go through the Bible in a year thing, but it, it always really helps me out. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm listening, and I stop at the light, and I said, I am sorry, God, but this is disturbing. <laughs> I said, my apologies, but I don't get this. So I don't spend near enough time in the Old Testament because I need to really understand God, and I don't. I, I like to be in the New Testament where he talks about grace and he talks about forgiveness, and I love to be there because there's some disturbing things that happen, and this is one of those disturbing things. Therefore he, God, brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young, their young men with a sword in the house of the sanctuary. He had no compassion on the young men, a virgin, old men, infirmed, he gave them all to his hand, all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and his officers he brought to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, they burned its fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed the valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword were carried away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and to the sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, until the word of the Lord, to fulfill the word of the Lord given by Jeremiah. His country was destroyed. His country was destroyed because God allowed it to happen. 
But he understood why God allowed it to happen. And this is when we jump into Daniel, which is the same story, but we get into the actual the prophet. The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I want you to understand what a besiegement is, if you don't know and you don't know your history. What they would do is they had walls around the city of Jerusalem. They would stand outside the walls. Your enemy would stand outside the walls until... Your food was gone, and people started dying, and people started fighting each other from the inside to try to get food. And then once you had killed yourselves off enough, then they'd come in and they'd take your city and they'd kill the rest of you. That's how a besiegement happened. They were not pleasant things. You did not want to be on the wrong side of the besiegement. The Lord gave your... Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the vessels of the treasury of, to, to the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Hashphenaz, the king, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the young, some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no f- defect, whom were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed in understanding and discernment and knowledge and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So, if you haven't got this picture already, Daniel would have been there during the besiegement. Now he's been taken to a completely new land, and because he's without blemish, or good-looking, or whatever it was that he was in that group, he gets chosen. The king appointed to them a daily ration of king's choice food and from wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, and at the end of the three years, they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Their names were important to them. Sometimes we just kind of throw away, throw around names here. I want you to tell you something. This is is a terrible thing that happens Not just IT, you see it a lot more than IT, but IT does a lot of outsourcing to places like India. And because American people are proud, and American people often think that we are smarter than everybody else, they change the names of the people that work in India to common English American names so that when people call them, they will trust what they say. Think of how dehumanizing that is to say people think you're stupid, but if you have a different name, then they'll respect you. It's a terrible thing that we do, and that's exactly what they were doing here, too, is we don't respect your name. We're going to change your name to something that we like. They wanted to dehumanize them so then they could raise them up in their culture. This is where Daniel is right now. His God allowed this to happen, Has God allowed his country to be destroyed? Has God allowed his name to be changed? Has God allowed him? He's not in a very good place at a very good time. What was was that uh, in that song that we sang? In this time of desperation. That's where Daniel's life is right now. But you never get that sense from Daniel. You never get that sense that he's in desperation. And I want to talk about what he did, because what he did was really, really small, but again, it changed the trajectory of his life and changed what would happen in the known world. Again, what what you do doesn't always have to be great, it just has to be godly. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. You know, one thing I do love about the Old Testament is the words they use, Okay? I think we would sin less as a church if we would use the words they use in the Old Testament. 
All right? So, like, for instance, if, if the elders see somebody who's doing something that's, that's probably less than what, God, what God's best, we will say something to them like, you know, the life child change that you've made probably isn't really helping you out, and, you know, kind of try to... Or if we just went up to him and said, you know, we can't help but notice that you have defiled yourself. <laughs> Don't you think that'd get more attention? But that's how they thought. That's the thing. He didn't look at it as this, this is kind of a bad menu choice. He looked at it as it was in his day, as it was. The food that he was being offered was not God's best. And if he was to take it, he would defile himself. And he decided, I don't want to do that. The king's choice food, by the way, was the absolute best food in the land. <laughs> this wasn't, he wasn't given a good menu option. This was, he was given the absolute best that they had. But it was not God stuff. So he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine that, which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. I want you to understand the situation here. The commander doesn't know God at all. The commander doesn't understand the concept of defilement. The commander doesn't understand why in the world you would say no to the best food that the king has to offer. Wouldn't get this at all. And I want you to think, I want you to think if you are this guy, and we'll talk about it in the next verses, he's got one job. You ever heard that concept? You got one job. <laughs> one job. Your job is to feed these people that food. That's your job. Now, back when you worked for the king, it wasn't like our occupations today where they give you like, oh, okay, you did something wrong. Let's write you up. Oh, you did it wrong again. Let's uh, suspend you for a week. Oh, I'm sorry you did it wrong a third time. We'll have to let you go. That wasn't how it worked back then. If you are supposed to feed those people this food, and you didn't feed those people this food, then off with your head. That's how it was back then. If you, if you didn't do what the king told you to do, so something has to happen here. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. Folks, do you understand providence? Do you even know what that word is, Providence. Providence means that God interjects himself into your life. And that's exactly what happens here. Because I can tell you, if a kid from the place that you just conquered told you, I really don't want to eat the food that you're giving me, and it was your job that they eat it or you would die, what would be your automatic response? Shut up and eat. That would have been his response, but providence happened. I want you to understand why this had to happen right here, that God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander. Because if God hadn't done that, the guy would have just said, no. But instead, the guy is, and I'm thinking, putting myself in this situation, I'm thinking the guy's thinking, I don't even know why I'm having this conversation with you. <laughs> but he's having a conversation. His part of the conversation is uh, very true and very relevant. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid, my lord the king, of my lord the king, who has appointed you food and your drink, for why should he see faces looking more haggard than the youths of your own age? Then you will make me forfeit my head to the king. This is what he's thinking. He's thinking conventional wisdom. Daniel's thinking God. I want you to understand the situation. This is when we talked about the Daniel plan. There's a lot of people that wanted to lose weight. Okay, I, I've actually I've lost right as of today 10 pounds on the Daniel plan. Okay, not this Daniel plan, but the Daniel plan where we're kind of watching what we eat. That's not the Daniel. Daniel's not this like he's like 30, 40 pounds obese. This guy's a slave who probably. What they need to do to him is they need to bulk him up. But what is, but, but so the concern is, is right now, this is the concept, right now your face looks haggard, okay? 
That's the exodus. Right now, his face probably looks haggard. He doesn't have a lot to eat. He has not been well nourished. And now what he's asking is, I don't want to eat all of this food that you've given to bulk me up. That's the conventional wisdom that he's thinking. If I, if I let you do what you want to do, then you're going to look more haggard than everybody else, and I'm going to die. Again, they shouldn't even be having this conversation, but God's letting the conversation happen. But Daniel said to the overseer, and the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. I want you to understand what's really happening here. Daniel's not saying test your servant for 10 days. Daniel is saying test my God for 10 days. Because I will tell you in 10 days, I don't know how hard you've been working on this Daniel plan, but I've worked pretty hard for like six weeks and I've lost 10 pounds. 10 days ain't going to do it, okay? 10 days of eating vegetables and water is not going to bulk you up. It just won't. It certainly won't do it in 10 days. You're not gonna, if, you, if you are looking pretty scrawny and your face is haggard, you're not going to be looking incredibly healthy in 10 days. But... So he's not saying, test me in this. He's not saying, test your servant in this. He's saying, test my God in this. Because this can't really happen, but with God, it's possible. When I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, back, I've told, I've told many of you this story before, that I told, you know, I told God, I said, God, I can't get out of debt in two years, but I know you can get me out of, ten, out of debt in two years. And then I read this, and I thought, Oh, I should have asked for 10 days. <laughs> that, I want you to understand when in your life you want to choose God's best over what the world's trying to put down your throat. When you say, I want to do God's best, and you give God this 10 days to do what is impossible, I think there's a big smile on God's face saying, I got this. Don't really need 10 days. Thank you very much, but I got this. God's got to work here. Daniel's not saying, I can do this in 10 days. Daniel's really, but that guy doesn't know God. Daniel does. Daniel knows God. If he does God's way, God can make it happen. Please test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and some water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in the presence of the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Do you really believe in God like that? <laughs> he, he, is setting, he is setting up the impossible to happen. You match me up, me and my, these other guys, with the people that already look really healthy... <laughs> Because the ones the other ones chose from their place, they would have already been in really good shape. Daniel and his friends, not so much. They haven't, they're pretty much now malnutrished. In 10 days, 10 days, you just compare us to. And what he's really saying, if they look more healthy, then we'll start eating your stuff. But if me doing it God's way, I have no problem matching that up. So he listened to them in the matter, and he tested them for 10 days. Because I, I can tell you right now, if he just said, give us three months, <laughs> the guy would have said, that ain't going to happen. The reason why he said 10 days, because the guy probably wouldn't have given any more than 10 days. I'll give you 10 days, but then you're going to start eating this food. That's what the guy's thinking. Okay, I'll give you 10 days. A couple of verses I want to talk about here. First of all, for the battle is the Lord's. Anybody know where that comes from? That comes from David going against Goliath. You know, a lot of people think David beat Goliath. David wouldn't even say he beat Goliath. David would say God beat Goliath. When he stood before Saul, he said, I ain't going to do it. When he stood before Goliath, he says, I, not me, my God. And that's where Daniel is right now. I, 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 can't, I can't get really healthy in 10 days, but my God. Just got this verse yesterday, by the way. It was on Facebook, but to me it, meant it was perfect. So I put it in here. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. 
It can't match any better than that. That's where Daniel is. You commit to the Lord, which he did. He committed not to eat the food. He trusted in God, and he knew that God would do it. He knew that in 10 days, there was no question. God's way is better. Let me show you. So at the end of those 10 days, their appearance seemed better. Not just matched. Not just now they finally got up in. Their appearance seemed better. And this is part I love because we're doing this Daniel plan and everybody's trying to lose weight. And they were fatter than all of the youth. Okay. Now they didn't all of a sudden become obese. They actually were. They looked like they were on steroids. And they're doing vegetables. Okay. That's a miracle. A miracle just happened. So what did the guy do? The overseer continued to withhold the choice. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that worked. Now what I don't know, because it doesn't really say, I don't know if he withhold it from everybody <laughs> or if he just stuck with them, I don't know. But he said, okay, it's working. I don't know how it's working. This is amazing to me, but it's working, so I'm going to let you keep doing it. And I want to tell you that God honors that. If you pursue righteousness, and, and I, I love the, the term pursue. You know, a lot of people talk about religious people and they say they're self-righteous. First of all, there is no such thing as self-righteousness. You can't get there by yourself, okay? Self-righteous is an up here thing. It's not a reality thing. You don't get to righteousness. You continue to pursue righteousness. It is something that you keep every time you hit a block on the road that says world's way, God's way. You go that way, and you go that way, and you go that way. And every now and then you do the world's way, you fall on your face, God picks you back up, and you, you go back the right direction. That is pursuing righteousness. The only way that we are righteous is because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. That's how we can be righteous. But the rest of the time in our own lives, in our, we are pursuing Righteousness, we're pursuing the things of God, and God honors that when people pursue Him. As for these four youth, God gave them, by the way, it didn't stop at the food thing. It didn't stop at the these guys look bulked up thing. It's just like with, when you see the concept with, with Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God stepped back and said, Wow, that's a, I'm impressed. You could have asked for gold and silver and all these amazing things, but you asked for wisdom. So since you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the gold and silver and all these things that go with it. Because when you just want to do like God's way, God gives you, God honors that situation and he honors well above and beyond. As for those four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams which would change the, direct, the direction of his life. It would change the course of his life because now, because of the choice he made that God honored, now all of a sudden he can do this visions and dreams thing that nobody else can do. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all of the, not all of, all not one was found to be like Daniel or Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers of all of his realm. God gave them a wisdom beyond all other because they made a choice to choose his way. which made it possible for Daniel to do his course in life. And when I talk about a course in life, one of the problems I see in the church and in other religions and everything is people think that everybody's supposed to do the same thing, like we're cookie-cutter people, that I'm supposed to do what you do and you do what I do, and then being a Christian looks exactly the same to everybody, and that's just not a reality. God has a course for you. Daniel needed to, to be there to do what Nobody else would have done. Because what is happening in Daniel's time, I want you to understand this, that, Dan, that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go in and take God's people. So instantly, what does Nebuchadnezzar think? Nebuchadnezzar thinks that his gods are better than their God. 
Daniel's there to say, <laughs> make it clear, and not the case. Because what God is doing through all of Daniel, God, God's playing this chessboard with dynasties. That God is moving this, and then he's moving this, and he's moving this. And without Daniel, they wouldn't have had a clue what the movements were happening and why they were happening. But Daniel was there because he was able to follow God, that God gave him the ability for visions and to, do, to, to interpret dreams so that he could tell the kings who God's moving next and why God's moving this and to say, you don't have a bit of power except for what God gives you. Just like when we see Jesus and he says, you only have the authority because God's given it to you. And that's what Daniel's there. And Daniel's course of his life was to get the kings of the enemy to glorify his God. That's a tough job. But Daniel does it. First of all, he gets exiled. We talked about that. He gets selected for training. We talked about that. He becomes a consultant to Nebuchadnezzar. And then as a consultant, one of the first things he does, and I love this, because the king gets together all of his smart people. Daniel's not there. Daniel's always out working somewhere. It's just amazing how Daniel does his thing. They always have to go find him. This is what his, the absolute smartest people that he has says to him, no man on earth could do what you're asking. If you want, you want to see God work, it's, that's where it starts. No man on earth could do what you're asking. I don't know if you know what was happening here. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that is perplexing him. It's keeping him up at night. So he gets all of his like, wise people together, and he says, I need you to do something for me because this dream is like freaking me out, and I can't, I'm losing sleep. I need you to interpret it for me. But just so I know that, you, that you're interpreting it correctly, I want you to, you need to first tell me what I'm dreaming about. And then you need to interpret it. Now, in the culture we have today, they would say, king, that's just a stupid thing to ask. That's not how they talked back then. They'd say, long live the king, the king live forever, uh, but nobody can do that. <laughs> this is another point of those times I think God gets a smile on his face. It's one of years, nobody can do that. It's like when they sent the Titanic out and they said, nobody can sink this ship. All right, so he gets Daniel. And you know what Daniel says? I can't do that. But I know it can. You give me a couple of weeks, I will, go, I will go get the answer. So what he did is he took those weeks, he went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they prayed that God would give him the answer of what he's dreaming about and then be able to interpret it. So that when they went back to Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't say, I got it for you. He said, God delivered the answer to your question. Before Daniel was done with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar believed in God probably more than some of you do. And he did that, and he told him the dream. He became the ruler of the whole province of Babylon. We see the same thing with, like, Jacob where he had the signet ring for all of Egypt. When you do God stuff, people are amazed. Not at you, at your God. And he wanted... But Nebuchadnezzar didn't last because God moved the chess piece. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar got cocky. Nebuchadnezzar, although he believed in Daniel's God, still thought that he was the greatest. And Daniel said, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> God will humble you. Because you need to know that God is the greatest. It ain't you. And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and his son became in power. And that's where we see the writing on the wall. You ever heard that term, the writing is on the wall? <laughs> Usually hear it like in your job. Well, the writing's on the wall. I don't think we're going to be here very much longer. And it all becomes from Daniel. Because what happens is <clears throat> Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, not to be confused with Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's new name. Belshazzar takes over the kingdom from his humbled father, does not learn from the humility of his father, and leads the kingdom in a very evil way. 
And then there's the writing on the wall. He's having a big party. And again, Daniel's not there. Daniel's working somewhere. He's not at this big party. This is a huge party. There's thousands of people having a party, drinking out of the goblets that came from God's temple. God's ain't going to happen. So God did the writing on the wall, but he didn't write it in a language that they understood, and nobody could come and understand and interpret what the writing was. But the queen came and said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had this guy. His name was Daniel, and his God, he, he, he has this connection with God like no other. I bet he can write, read the writing on the wall. So Belshazzar goes and finds Daniel, and Daniel comes, and Belshazzar says, if you can tell me what's written on that wall... He had a whole list of things he was going to get, and these are some really incredible stuff. Mostly was gold, 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 and more gold. (laughs) And lands, and this, and that. And you know what Daniel said to him? I don't need your stuff. (laughs) I pray that we can think that way a little bit more often. We don't need the world's stuff. What Daniel wanted was for Belshazzar to understand what God was doing. He said, I don't need your stuff, but I'll tell you what's on the wall. And basically what was on the wall was, Belshazzar, your time is up. You didn't learn from your father. You did not become humble. Your kingdom is going to be split. It's funny, it's funny when Daniel, some of these things that Daniel, Belshazzar, or Nebuchadnezzar came to him once and said, I need to know what this dream is. And, and Daniel hesitates. <laughs> and, and Belshazzar says, yeah, you don't need to be scared to tell me what. He says, you don't know what I got to tell you. <laughs> it was not good news. That was when he was telling him that he was going to be humiliated. Um, but Belshazzar, you know, bless his heart, wanted to know the truth. And Daniel always told the truth. But in this case, the writing was on the wall in the kingdom. God moved another chess piece. God was changing out kingdoms. And if Daniel hadn't been there, if Daniel had, they, wouldn't have, they would have just thought it was battle after battle after battle. But because Daniel was there right in the midst, right with them, they knew that there, that Daniel's God was doing all of this stuff. He was appointed by Denarius, or Darius to authority, which led to the lion's den. And we'll talk, let me talk about the lion's den just later in a little bit. You probably heard that story. But the rest of it is these visions that he's having. And he's writing down these visions. He's like, it's like a second job, because he says, I've got to get back to my work for Darius, but I've got to write down this vision. And he didn't even understand most of his visions. But you know what his visions were talking about? His visions were leading to the Messiah. Because of the the insight and what God has equipped him with, he was able to tell the world that there was a Messiah coming. And basically basically a lot of his um, prophecies are about these chess pieces that are being moved. But he said in the end of the game, checkmate, (laughs) there's this Messiah. And he will rule over all of these nations. He's even quoted by Jesus himself, if you're not sure whether or not his, he was legitimate. And then he, he, so he runs this course to win. Always doing what God wants him to do. And I want to show you what winning looks like. Winning looks a little different depending on what your course is. Okay? But winning should always be to the glory of God. That's where Daniel is. Daniel's whole job, his course in life that God gave him because of the choice that he made to be committed, not to defile himself, he put him on a course to make the kings of the nations understand who the real God is. This is from Darius. There's there's a couple from Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I just want to read this to you. This is the king of the nation who didn't know who God was at all. They They had their own other gods. They had a lot of gods. But they didn't know the true God until he met Daniel. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the people. Again, Darius is not a king of Jerusalem. He's not the king of God's people. He's a king of the enemy. And this is what he knows because of Daniel. To the nations of every man and language who are living in all the land, may peace abound to you. I make a decree that in all dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the God and endureth forever. And his kingdom is the one that will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues 
and perform signs of wonders in heaven and on earth. It is the enemy king saying this about our God because of Daniel in his life and what Daniel was showing him. So what does this even mean for us? We need to run to win. And there's a couple things I put down here learning from the story of Daniel. You need to know your course. You need to have the right strategy. You need to purpose to win, and you need to finish strong. How do you know your course? I get this question a lot as a Sunday school teacher, as an elder. I don't know really what God wants me to do. Ask and ask and keep asking. This is Daniel. Daniel entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows up towards heaven, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he was doing previously. How did he know his course? He talked to God three times a day. And I want you guys to understand prayer, because I don't think we do a lot of times. We think prayer is us talking to God. Prayer is us communicating with God. If you ever, with me in Sunday school, if I'm the guy teaching, then I do most of the talking. If I'm not teaching in Sunday school, I hardly ever say a word, because I'm coming to learn. So when I talk to God, I don't talk to God like a lot of people do. My prayers aren't, I don't do a lot of talking when I talk to God. When I lay at night praying, if I pray for God for an hour, I probably talk for about three minutes. <laughs> because I'll tell you, you know, in Sunday school when somebody else is teaching and I'm learning, I got nothing to teach God. <laughs> I got to listen. That's where you find out is you listen to God. You don't just keep talking to God, you listen to God. Jesus himself would often slip away in the wilderness to pray. It said, that, it said Jesus did nothing on his own initiative. Well, how did he always know what the Father wanted him to do? He talked to him. Let me back up to Daniel for a second. That, that little piece you might not understand that he had done previously, what's it talking about here? Let's go back to the lion's den. Darius was going to make him pretty much ruler of everything because he was, he was one of Darius's best. And then Darius really figured, yeah, he actually is the best. And so he decided that he was going to just make Daniel the guy. That didn't make a lot of people happen because they wanted to be the guy. So this is what they did, if you don't know the story. They knew, first of all, that Daniel's God is powerful. You couldn't be around Daniel without knowing that his God was powerful. They also knew that his prayers to God and finding out what God wanted him to do made him of an effective man of God. So they made up a plan. They tricked Darius into making a law. Basically, the law said that you could only make supplications to the king because the king's pretty much everybody's God. And Darius, out of pride, went ahead and signed that, not realizing that what that meant was that Daniel can't pray anymore. <laughs> but the people that knew Daniel knew they had two things that were going to happen with this law. Because, by the way, if you did keep having supplication to somebody else, then they were going to throw you in the lion's den. And you were going to die. So they knew this would have two things. One of two things was going to happen to Daniel. Either he would quit praying and quit being effective because he would lose his communication with his God, or he would die. We, we win both ways is what they're thinking. So that's why they tricked him into that. They wanted to get him to quit praying or to kill him, whatever. The, the law would do either one. But unfortunately, they didn't understand the power of Daniel's God. Because Daniel, that's why it said as he was doing previously. As soon as Daniel heard about this law, he just went back and prayed like he always does. You ain't going to stop me from praying. If you have to kill me, you have to kill me, but you ain't going to stop me from praying because he was a man who pursued righteousness. And he knew he couldn't get to righteousness if he couldn't get to his father who told him what righteousness was. So he just went and prayed like he had previous did. And they said, whoa, king you got to throw this guy into the lion's den. And the king, was, his heart was broken because the king really loved Daniel, but he couldn't change the law, and he threw him into the lion's den. And if you don't know the story, 
God again when I talk about providence. God saved him from the lions. So he neither had to quit praying and he didn't die. The people that died were the people that came up with that law. This is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to the war, his will, he hears us. I pray that you ask him what your course is. And this isn't a, he didn't ask like one day and God just put out the whole course of his life. He asked him three times a day and God just kept him on that course. To win, you got to have a strategy. Here's the rest of that verse, because I think it's, to me, one of the most powerful verses, at least in my life. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising its shame, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostilities by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want to know where your power is, there is power in the blood. That's where our power is. Our power is in Jesus Christ. Daniel only had a vision who the Messiah is. We know outright who the Messiah is, and we know that he died for us. And that song we sang, the power that did all of these things is the power that lives inside of us because of Jesus Christ. If you fix your eyes on him and what he did and what he went through, and that he, he even pursued righteousness. He actually got there like always. <laughs> we don't have that. We just keep pursuing. <coughs> Look to him. That's where your strength is. That's where your hope is. That's where everything is, is in Jesus Christ. You want to win this race, you've got to be with him. He's the victor, not us. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and that you made a good confession in the presence of many others. That's, that's where life needs to be. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And he says, and everything else will be added to you. Start out with God. In purpose to win. There's a lot of people who just go through life. Even in the church, we see it all the time. We're just kind of going through life. You need to live on purpose. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And again, winning is not something that you get this prize that's prize in the last round. Winning is glorifying God. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. That's what our life is supposed to be. That is winning. Winning is to show people who God is, not who we are. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but you need to get this, but we an imperishable wreath. We get these trophies every year playing softball. And they, they <laughs> yay, and they just get dusty and they sit in a shelf. That's, that's not where life eternal is. Life doesn't get dusty and sit on a shelf. Ours is imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. Again, he's running on purpose. I box in a such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I might not be disqualified. He doesn't want to get to a point that he's just talking about it and preaching it. He wants it to be his life like it is, should be everybody else's life. But it doesn't end until God takes that last breath from you. Another problem that we see in the church is, oh, I've done all my church work. It's time to retire. No. Paul, all the way through to the end, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Don't stop until you finish the course. And you finish the course when your life is over. 
not when it's retirement. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not because of the greatness in my running the course, but the greatness of who the Son of God is. I'm just running the race to try to glorify him in everything that I can. He's already, he's already won. My job is just to run this race to glorify him. So that's your challenge. Know your course. Pray and pray a lot. And listen. Quit talking to God. Start listening to God. Have the right strategy. Pursue God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Pursue faith. You just need to keep going after those things, but with your eyes focused on Jesus. And purpose to win. Don't lose this life without aim. Do this life on purpose. And finish strong by keeping your faith until your last breath. Shall we pray? Almighty God, Daniel is an inspiration to us. A man who could have, at one point could have had anything he wanted to eat, Lord, the greatest of stuff, but said, no, I want to do this your way. Lord, there's so many times the world has so much out there to offer us that falls so short of the things that you have, and yet we take it and we defile ourselves. Lord, we choose wrong so many times, but Lord, we, we know we can get back up. We know we can be forgiven. We know that your son and his blood has died for those things that we can just take off and throw down and continue to run this race with endurance from your power. Lord, I pray we are up to that challenge to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, I pray that we do run this race to win and winning is to glorify you. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.